This is Work of the Beat. It is Tuesday, December 29th, 2020. I'm Kevin Cooney. Thank you for joining us on our final show of the year. Our final full show of the year. We'll give our football picks on Thursday, uh, Mr. Kern and I. Uh, just want to give you a heads up on what's this show. As if you are a regular listener of this show, you know that at the end of every year, this is the fourth year we've done this. Uh, we've done a little roundtable with some of our favorite guests to discuss what has happened, what the big lessons of 20 uh, of a year were and some predictions as we move forward. So our normal crew will join us in a few minutes. Mr. Kern and I will be joined by Jack McCaffrey, the columnist from the Delco times, Mike Silski, the columnist from the Philadelphia inquiry and John Johnson from 94 WIP to discuss the year in Philadelphia sports. Obviously this year goes well beyond just sports. You know, when you look at everything that's going on with COVID, uh, the landscape of sports changing, um, you know, when does it come back to normal? Does it come back to normal? Um, we'll discuss that. The future of the four franchises, uh, the mistakes of the four franchises in a lot of cases this year, uh, where they are as we head into a new year. And uh, what can we learn kind of from 2020 and, and everything that is going on? So, uh we hope you'll enjoy it. We hope you'll uh, listen um, and give us feedback. Uh, you know, obviously we have uh, work in the beat doc, uh, Twitter account. You can always get us back on that. You can find me at Kevin Cooney. <clears throat> I want to thank before we get going here, uh, our friends at last out media who have syndicated our show um, or our friends who have supported the show over the last um, year, which has obviously been a trying time. Uh, many of you know Mr. Kern and I actually have not seen each other in person since March. We've been doing this through Zoom. Let's hope in the new year him and I can sit back here in the basement and uh, get things going. That means I'll have to clean it, which will be a, a bit of a mess. So um, a lot has happened in this year, and uh, we're going to go over all of it. Uh, from Carson Wentz getting hurt back in the first weekend, it feels like forever, to Carson Wentz being benched, to the NBA and NHL seasons in a bubble and where they go from here, where the Phillies go from here. And obviously the impacts of COVID and the social justice movement. We'll get to all of that with our guest, John Johnson from 94 WIP, Mike Silski from the Enquirer, and Jack McCaffrey from the Delco times. They will be with us right after this. And so we look back at the year 2020, uh, a year everybody knows about, everybody would care to forget at times. And so let's talk about it with our panel. And our panel starts with, uh, of course, Mr. Kern. Hello, Michael. How are you? Yo. Yo. Uh, John Johnson from 94 WIP, uh, who has been hosting the morning show. Uh, John, how are you? Kev, Mike, Mike, Jack. Aren't you taking your your afternoon nap right about now, John? Uh, I would be, but that's all right. I'll take it. <laughs> Mike Silski from the Philadelphia Inquirer and also the upcoming book on Kobe Bryant. And we'll get to that at some point in this 
year in review retrospective. Michael, how are you? Doing well, Kev. Thanks for having me. No hey, problem. guys. And, and, and the man who I, I got to say right off the bat was was calling the Eagles struggles long before anybody else. In fact, on our show back in August, he said they suck. Jack McCaffrey said the following point. And other than that, uh, your, your points are, are, are really good and they haven't drafted well and it's not heading in the right direction. And, and uh, I look for a bad season. I, I just, I, this is it's just going to How bad, bad is bad? No playoffs, you know, under 500. Six and 10? Yeah, six and 10. Here, you back me into some, yeah, the losing season. It's- there you go, Jack McCaffrey. How are you? Great, Kev. How's everybody? All right. How did you see six and ten coming? Or, or they ain't, ain't going to reach. They six. ain't going to reach six. And I'm not sure that. if I should. Uh, yeah, it's uh, just just a culmination of things. Uh, they didn't have a very good team last year. They got a little bit fortunate at the end. They were they were depending on players who were either old or inexperienced. There was the developing quarterback issue, which I saw coming, and it, it definitely. As a matter of fact, John, we talked about it on your radio show at one point. That uh, that was an issue. I didn't like offensive coordinator by committee. I didn't like – I believe at the time we did that show, Kev, uh, Brooks was already out for the year. Yeah, he was. There may have been some injuries at that point. I don't remember exactly when the show was, but it was th- during training camp some some point. So eh, just a culmination of things and a feel and just have been around. And uh, every once in a while you get one right. We'll get to the Eagles in our second block, but our first block is obviously going to be the major story of the year, which is uh, – COVID-19. I mean, everything starts and ends kind of from there. Um, You know, obviously, you know, it started in March. March Madness was postponed. Uh, The NBA and the NHL ended up in bubbles. Baseball played an abbreviated 60-game season. The NFL has had no fans in the stands, but has gone through college football and college basketball have been disrupted. So I guess this is almost a question... Looking back and looking forward, how much do you think this has changed the landscape in general for athletics, not just in what it was in 2020, but moving forward? Uh, let me start with uh, let me start with uh, John Johnson. I 2020 has been in terms of the landscape of sports coverage has been horrible. It's exact. It has fallen right in line to what. Uh, professional sports teams absolutely want, which gives no reporters, no whether it's, you know, it gives no reporters any access whatsoever other than what they would like them to see and for them to hear and players that they only want them to access. Where anytime in the past, if you, you know, want to find out the real story or, uh, you know, just, you know, get more information, you go to a locker room, you talk to some players, you find that information, it's part of your job. Now, you have to sit in front of a computer screen and be, be a part of a Zoom and click the raise hand button and hope for the best you get called and the timing they get you get called and hope you can squeeze in a follow-up question. And a lot of times it's to, to an individual you may not even want to talk to, but you're you're reaching for scraps at this point. In, in terms of sports coverage, I, I have hated 20, 2020, and, and this is the way it's going to be moving forward for at least another year until things begin to open up a little. And even then, the leagues love this so much. The teams love this so much. I don't know what's going to happen with the future of uh, just the access that the media will be allowed within sports teams. Uh, Jack? I'll have a, a little bit different spin, a couple a t- couple topics there. One, um, I don't know that it's going to be permanent. It won't be permanent. As a matter of fact, follow the money. 
Josh Harris was proposing what a billion dollar new arena on the uh, at Penn's Landing. They're not putting out billions of dollars for new arenas and hundreds of million dollars on contracts for players if they think this is going to be permanent. So I think we all can agree and hope and be prayerful that this is not anything permanent. As far as the business is concerned, I'll go to, I, I agree with John, certainly on a fundamental basis, but the, the Zoom meetings that we were able to do takes me back to a, a quote that I got from an old friend of ours. Remember Bob Tennant, our old sports editor? Yes. You guys all know Bob. Yeah. He, he told me as a young reporter, he said, 90% of this business is listening. And, and if you go on these Zoom meetings, which we all do, and you listen, it's not as good as it was when you were in the locker room and you can really listen. But you can listen. You can, and, and, and none of us here are rookies. We've all been around a long time. We can all hear things that we've been trained to hear over the years. I'll give you a good example. The Ben Simmons, James Harden rumor. You know, this was recent, like maybe two weeks ago when, when Doc Rivers was asked, did you make a phone call to, to Ben Simmons to appease him or to let him know that, you know, everything's okay? He said, I made a phone call to him. He didn't say, I made a phone call to him and said, don't worry about this. You're staying. He said, I made a phone call to him. Mm-hmm. The same question came up to Ben Simmons. Did you get a call from, from Doc Rivers? Yeah, I got a call, and I'll play for whatever team that I'm paid to play for, whatever uniform I'm wearing that night. So, therefore, that's, in my opinion, that's what we do in, in our business is take what we've seen for years and years and years, put it into some kind of context, listen to what's said, and come up with a conclusion. My conclusion was that the Sixers will be more than happy to trade Ben Simmons. I'm getting off the topic here. But so it has, John's a thousand percent right. You're much better off in the locker room. Even if you're just standing there for two hours before a Phillies game, I guarantee, you know, Kev, you're going to see something. We don't get to do that anymore, but we do the best we can. Mike Silski. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll come down a little bit in the middle between Jack and John. Um, it's, it's not a good setup, obviously, for doing for, for covering sports w- really well, um, though Jack's point is well taken about using your ears and reading signals. Um, having said that, it's a hell of a lot better to be in the locker room and be able to ask players um, to be in the arena and ask executives and sources and people who you know and can sidle up to and, and get a sense of what's really going on. Um, as far as the leagues go, um, I wonder if they're going to come around and come back to the idea of allowing access sooner than we might think. And the reason I say that is while John's point is right, that in a perfect world, um, they would totally control what we get to see and, um, you know, and kind of encourage us to write or, or report certain kind of things. You, you see that even, you know, you've always seen that. And I think you've seen that particularly uh, acutely over the last nine months. Um, you know, certain media outlets kind of rush to put out stuff that the teams want them to put out. Um, But the flip side of that is, is that it's only through access, generally speaking, that interest gets drummed up in these teams and these leagues. I don't know if you guys all felt the same way I did, but the fact that a, that there was no uh, preseason, there were no preseason games, you know, for the Eagles this season And then B, we weren't there at training camp every day, led to an absolute dearth of enthusiasm about the beginning of this Eagles season. And Jack's prediction. Yeah, well, that too. But (laughs) but right away, like when they played Washington that first weekend, it did not feel like the opening weekend of an Eagles season. And it wasn't just because we'd all been trapped in our homes for 
would it have been six months at that time? It was because there was no footage of Carson Wentz throwing training camp passes. There were no ridiculous tweets about how he had completed six of seven passes in this drill uh, on a Wednesday afternoon in August. There was none of the buildup and there was none of the um, reporters and media members talking to players to find out who these guys were. We didn't know anything about Jalen Rager or John Hightower. Mm-hmm. And while you can do those stories on your own, you can call and talk to Hightower's college coach or Jalen Rager's high school coach. Interacting with those athletes is the fastest, easiest, and best way, not only for us to do our best work, but for the leagues and the teams themselves to generate the interest that makes this whole thing go. So I I see both sides of it with respect to what John and Jack said. I think I lean a little bit more to Jack in that I think that these teams and these leagues are going to realize pretty quickly um, that they need to open things up more, that they can't lock us down because otherwise, you know, it's going to hurt them in the the pocketbooks. Mike uh, Kern. What I missed the most when I was doing the job was getting to spend a half hour with Ryan Archdiakono. And just me and him sitting there or Jalen Brunson or this guy or that guy or whatever and coming up with something that maybe nobody else had, which is really hard to do now. I miss reading those stories. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that, and I think all these guys have done a a yeoman-like job during this to do their jobs under very adverse circumstances. But I miss reading those kind of stories. And like Mike said, as much as I hate training camp, you know, I might have got 10 stories about guys I knew nothing about um, that now I'm in the season. I still don't know. I, I still don't know anything about Jalen Rager pretty much. But, I mean, and I think that side of it's been lost. Now, whether that comes back a year from now or whatever, I sure hope so because I used to love um, reading those kind of stories Well, um, where, where somebody looked into somebody's right. insides or got some insight into somebody and told me a story that I otherwise would not have gotten. And I think that's what journalism's really been lacking. For no fault of anybody trying to do their jobs, but I think that's what's been lacking during this. Well, and, and I want to take it in a different way, too. I think we all thought at some point that athletics was on uh, was going to end up being a TV show. And it, we would almost end up with studio athletics, okay, where television would have their angles and all that. And they got that this year. When nobody in the stands, they got that. But what we've seen is the decline in revenue. We've seen the real life implications of that with people at the, you know, the 80 layoffs or buyouts at the Phillies and everybody kind of gearing back and all that. And I wonder when the doors reopen, will people flood right back in or will they, will they be a little hesitant here? If, if let's say June, 2021 citizens bank park is open fully, will people go back? Will they have the revenue to go back? And, and, and the financial security to go back. And that's, I think, a big question facing sports going forward, if anybody wants to talk talk about that issue. Go ahead, Mike. Two different questions, Kevin. Well, I know. Silski. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to – I was going to – Give Jackson more praise because we haven't heaped enough on him so far on this <laughs> on this um, podcast. Well deserved, um, yeah, and well deserved. He wrote a really insightful column earlier this year about the difference between watching sports on TV when there are no fans there and when there are fans there, and that it, it, the fact that there were no fans at these games 
makes a huge difference to the TV viewing experience. As much as these leagues might want to usher everything to TV, the fact is that fans being there creates a better environment. There's a reason nobody gathers around to just watch a five-on-five pickup basketball game in a court in West Philly or in Sea Isle City or something like that. It's because the atmosphere isn't very good. It's just you, it's just you watching the game. Well, guess what? That's what you got every night in the NBA, even in the finals. Um, and so I think but teams, you got fake, fake, you got fake fan noise. Well, that's the thing is it sounded fake. I mean, it just did. Um, you know, and I think that teams and leagues are going to have to do something to encourage fans to come back, whether that is cutting prices, whether that is trying to change the experience at the arena. Um, but they're going to have to do something to entice people to come back if they don't come back on their own. And I think I'm a, I'm a little more sanguine about them coming back than a lot of other people are, especially the, you know, the Phillies and the Eagles play outside, you know, I think people will feel pretty comfortable about that. Um, I mean, if they could, if, if, you know, we can have uh, protests outdoors, you know, when the, in the teeth of this thing and everybody says it's okay, then we ought to be able to have, um, you know, large gatherings for the, and it's kind of terrible to say, but sports has become the thing that like pulls everybody together in a community and that stuff matters. And so I think, you know, the Sixers and the Flyers will have a more difficult time with that. But I think, I think I'm hopeful that people will want to come back. And I think the teams need them to John or my, uh, John or uh, Jack, you want to take a, no, I was going to say it's um, uh, you can certainly, I mean, the, the difference is the biggest with the indoor sports. I mean, the, with the NFL, the field is so large. There's so many players in the field at one time that you can kind of hide the presence of the fans at times and almost forget. Uh, baseball is going to, I think baseball is going to, it's going to be interesting too, but it's, it, basketball in particular is such an intimate sport where fans are right on the court. They're at times two, three feet from the players. And it is, it's become very, I know I've taken a lot of phone calls for this and I actually feel the same way. When you're watching it on TV, you almost have an empty feeling watching it because you know what you're watching a professional sport, but you don't have that same vibe without the crowd presence, whether it be positive or negative home crowd, away crowd. And I, I can only imagine although they're professional athletes and paid a handsome sum, you know, and just the one home Sixers regular season game that, that I've covered so far, it had such an empty feel to it. And I'm watching these athletes on the court and I'm saying, my goodness, you have nothing to feed off of. It's a pickup game on the court right now. There's no crowd. There's a handful of people that aren't staff standing around the court. It's just a, it's a very, I don't know. I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised at all if many athletes come out, you know, in hindsight after this is all done and over with and say, I just lacked so much motivation because I just, I, I, I had nothing to motivate. Jack, you've been at Sixer games. You were at Phillies games all summer. You know, the difference between then and now and, and, and kind of what it's like with the studio sports atmosphere. Obviously dramatic. It's, it's not, it's not the same. Um, we're very fortunate in our business that, that we spend probably 80% of our time in empty stadiums anyway. So to us personally, it wasn't, it, it shouldn't really be a culture shock to go down there when they're doing batting practice or after the game, when they're cleaning up the stadium and we're working in the stadium. So it wasn't a, a major, major culture shock for us, but for those three hours that the game was on, it, it obviously was different. And it was in many ways, if you talk about the Phillies, it was, it was uh, 
eye-opening but in, in the sense that, boy, it was fascinating to hear the dugouts, uh, the players in the dugouts screaming after every play. I assume we really understood that that was happening anyway, but we ne- all those years you never really heard it. So it was a little different. Um, as far as people coming back to the stadiums, the math would indicate that it that's definitely going to happen. I, without the calculator in front of me, there's got to be, what, 10 million basketball fans in this marketing area? I can, I, 20,000 will be able to go to a Sixers. You'll be able to come up with 20,000 to fill that easily. There'll be 21,000 standing outside. If the worst thing that ever happens is that the prices of the tickets have to come down a little bit, well, good for the fans. I hope it does. So that would be my three observations on that. No. Uh, before we move on to the Eagles, obviously, um, in five years, when we look back at 2020, what will be the bigger story? Will be COVID or will be the the athletes and the social justice movement that took place in midsummer with more athletes standing up, using their voices. We've seen it at the college level. We've seen it, the obviously, in the pros. The NBA has been very active in their social justice movement and has received some blowback, to be honest about it. What is the bigger story going forward, you think, out of this year, out of those two? Uh, whoever wants to go first. <laughs> well, you, I think you got to see where the social upheaval stuff is in five years. Okay. Because that stuff tends to process very, very slowly. And I think five years from now, COVID should be behind us. Mm-hmm. I, I would guess. I mean, I'm t- just assuming that at some point it's going to go away. We may be dealing with something else. But I, I think when we look back on 2020, the first thing anybody's going to think of is Rudy Gobert and the world stopping. All right. M- Mike? Yeah, I think, it, I think it's kind of an unanswerable question because we don't know yet what the carryover yeah. among these athletes is going to be now that um, once I should say once um, Donald Trump is no longer president. Um, I think that matters a lot. And I think, I, I think it will end up mattering a lot. And I'm curious personally to see um, how much carryover there is uh, amongst these athletes um, because he became such a focal point or rallying point or whatever you want to say for so much of these protests because of the way he, he wielded sports as a cudgel in the, in the culture war, you know, he's the one who called Colin Kaepernick and SOB, um, you know, no matter how you came down on that issue, you can't, you can't deny that, that Trump, you know, ratcheted the level of it up. He didn't try to play it down. And so I think that, uh, you have to see how it goes under, you know, a Biden administration to a degree. All right. Um, John or Jack, any other comments on that, or before should we move on? No, I mean it's just it's for social injustices. It was the it was nice to finally see, um, you know, the masses stepping forward, and it's a stepping stone, right? I mean, it's not right. something you just all of a sudden turn on a light switch and everything is fixed. It's something that's going to take years, you know, and hopefully with each and every month, each and every year, things, all the injustices of the past become corrected, and everybody has the right frame of mind moving forward to, you know, to always do the right thing. COVID though, it's so difficult to compare the two because you have such mass casualties and everybody has been affected by it and will be, you know, for the rest of our lives in one form or another. So it's, we'll always remember COVID first. Um, And the hope is that five years from now that you can look back and say, wow, that was some year and kind of move on with your conversation where the, 
you know, fixing all the, the social injustices over the years. That's something that takes um, uh, seemingly a lot longer. Let's move on to lighter topics. Uh, and, and let's start with the obvious biggest topic in the room in this city, which is the football team. That's a lighter topic? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's a disaster, but it's a lighter disaster. I hear you. Um, I'll, I'll put it right out there. Who is the head coach opening day 2021? Jack McCaffrey. For the Eagles? Yes. Uh, Doug Peterson. Mike Silski. Doug Peterson. John Johnson. Wow. Uh, I'll... I'll... I'll still say Doug, but I uh, I can't say that with a hundred percent certainty. Mike Kern, I'm with I'm with John. I and I couldn't give you another name if I, but I don't know what Jeff Lurie is thinking, and he's the only opinion that matters in all this. So you know, is somebody going to be escape? Is somebody going to be let go because Howie's not going to be let go? If if they come back, I will say this: if they come back with Howie and Doug. And maybe some, I guess they would have to make some changes somewhere and try to bring Wentz back also, which seems to be what they have to almost do. This town is going to go nuts. And especially like, you know how this town is the first time Carson has a bad quarter. Yeah. It, it's going to, and, and all the stuff we've gone through this year. I mean, do they really want to go through that? Now, if Carson comes back and everything turns out to be a 10 win playoff season, hey, life is good. But, that won't happen in this town. Well, I, and I guess the, the the question that goes, they have cap issues. They have a talent deficit that's not going to be able to be replaced in a year. Um, You know, if you're Jeff Lurie, you got to look at the grand picture of this, and you've had three seasons of regression besides a what looks like a blip that ended up winning you a Super Bowl. Injuries, man. Injuries. Uh, that, you know what? That That's the biggest load of crap. Go. I want to be part of the solution. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the, the point, I guess, is shouldn't this be a warning siren to the owner about where how far, how far his his organization has fall uh, fell? Well, I could talk. And really how their arrogance is harming them at this point? Anybody want to take it first or not? But that's only yeah. if he, it, that's only Kevin if he sees it as arrogance. Wow. Okay. He doesn't see it that way, and he's the only opinion that matters. Not yours, mine, Jack's. It doesn't. We can sit here and say all we want about how he's draft or, or Doug maybe this or Carson maybe that, but it's what he, Jeff Lurie thinks, and he's three years removed from a Super Bowl, and he loves Howie apparently, so. You make it sound like they know they're being arrogant. Well, I don't think that necessarily Jack, is the case. Jack, do you think they know they're arrogant? I don't know that they're really as arrogant as they once were. Now, Andy Reid was arrogant. Chip Kelly was arrogant. Mm-hmm. Jeff Lurie went 14 years with Andy Reid because he almost won a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I believe he's going to give Doug Peterson much a longer rope because he did win a Super Bowl. And I, I don't see Doug Peterson as arrogant at all. I, I go on every one of his Zoom meetings. We've been around him. I've How about the general manager? The Friday afternoon off-the-record things right. with him. and He's not an arrogant man. I don't see it. No. Don't How, see about, How about the general manager? I don't see him as arrogant either. He's very, very, very uh, 
if, if, if I'll reach out to you, I'll talk to you. He's, uh, I don't see him. I, now, if you want to talk about his drafting, let's talk about that. But I don't, I don't see Howie Roseman as arrogant. I don't, I don't see that at all. Mike or John. Yeah, I, I, I disagree to this extent. I think, um, I think taking a second round, using a second round pick and a quarterback like that, um, given the situation that the franchise was in, not being able to recognize that while that is a sound strategy for particular franchises in particular conditions, that the Eagles, A, were not in that kind of condition, that they needed to um, spend you know, their capital or their resources elsewhere and to think that they could afford to take a, a backup quarterback um, with a second-round pick um, you know, is, is pretty arrogant. Um, and I also think that, you know, the, the, how can I put this? I th- I think they, to use a phrase that the kids use, I think they got a little high on their own supply. Like they were smart in how they built that Super Bowl team. They did the right thing. As it turned out, they found a quarterback who was pretty good, really good on his rookie contract. And they did what you should do when you find that, which is they found veteran players to come in and fill in at important positions overpaying them for short-term contracts and it won them the Super Bowl. They they pulled the strategy off so well that they didn't even need their franchise quarterback to win that Super Bowl. The problem is once you get past that and you pay Carson Wentz, you've got to then draft well enough um, to stay under the salary cap um, so and surround him with the kind of young players who can who can really help him out. And they have not done that so far. Um, you know, to, to the initial question of whether Doug's going to be back, I, I mean my feeling is um, and I saw, I think it was John Clark raised this on Twitter today that, you know, you can go out and find a coach who is a brilliant offensive play caller and schemer. These guys play hard for Doug. The, the issue is not that this team quits on Doug Peterson. It never has in, mm-hmm. in five years of him being the head coach, the team plays its guts out for him. And generally it's better at the end of the season when it looks like things are stacked against them. And they didn't, they, they play hard, you know, Sunday against the Cowboys. The problem is they don't have enough talent um, everywhere. And, uh, you know, everybody's talking about Carson Wentz and rightfully so because of his regression this season. But look at the second halves of these games that Jalen Hurts has played. They have not put up points and he's been worse in every second half so far compared to his first half. And what does that tell you? That tells you that the opponents are making adjustments and this is a rookie quarterback and they don't have enough around whoever it is, whether it's Wentz or Hertz or whoever the third guy might be um, to, to make this thing work. Um, it was one thing when they could scrap the entire offense for Nick Foles and go with, you know, zone reads and run pass options and tear through the Vikings and the Patriots. They don't have the kind of talent around either quarterback to be able to do that now. And that's a big problem. And that's, can I pose a question to everybody? Sure. Cause I'm just curious. How much do you guys think the drafting of Hertz played into this season? Was it no factor at all? Would this season have been the same regardless of if they had taken a wide receiver or, I mean, cause, cause now we're kind of, I'm just curious what you guys think. Uh, let, yeah, go back to what Kev asked me in the beginning, and we were talking about in the preseason. I had it as a factor. I had it as a factor as a, as a complicating factor. Okay. This was not a, a real positive. For, it certainly wasn't a positive for Carson Wentz's career. Now, as John knows, because we talked on his show, I was really high on Jalen Hurts. If this guy turns out to be really good, then it was a great move by uh, Howie Roseman. But Mike made a good point. It's like he's 
he really hasn't played well in the second half. So he's he's not as great as as maybe they thought he was, and he's only a rookie. We're going to find out. John? Yeah, I mean, my, my biggest fear uh, of what may happen with this team is no change in terms of the coaching and front office structure. Yeah. Um, I, one thing we found out for sure is that Although Doug, having won a Super Bowl, and as Mike pointed out, I mean, he, he after all this time, he can get his players to play for him. He clearly has no power within the organization. And just, you know, at times where he wanted to keep certain guys, 24 hours later, you know, whether it was Howie Roseman or Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie combined, just, you know, pulled out the rug from underneath and said, no, 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 no. Mike Rowe, this guy, that guy, you know, we don't want them here. We're getting them out of here. We're bringing in different people. And the result is, the, you know, the offense getting even worse. And you combine that with the general manager and that second-round pick of Jalen Hurts, which was a pure vanity pick when you had 10 other positions of need. You combine that with, a, a, a in addition to that, a bad draft record. His last three drafts have been, they've been really bad. His free agent acquisitions have been aging players who have injury histories, and shockingly, they get injured, and you're hurt financially with that. Defensively, they allowed Jim Schwartz to almost handpick his defense, and you have guys like Javon Hargrave and Malik Jackson doing next to nothing, making a lot of money. You know, you have a, a depleted secondary. You don't have much of a linebacking core. There, there's just so many holes. And I, my biggest fear is that Jeffrey Lurie is partial to Howie Roseman. After you know, after all this time, he kept him here, put him. You know, he was in a back closet, but he paid him more money because he didn't want to leave. Want him to leave during the Chip Kelly tenure. And now that you know, I, I my I worry that Howie and Jeffrey are of the same mindset. That they you know, although Howie Roseman is a VP slash GM, um, you know Jeffrey Lurie is certainly on. You know, they're they're lock and sync with one another. So I'm I, the whole let's just run it back with the same staff and everybody will be healthy, so we'll be better. I just think that's boy, if if they if that's their mindset, boy, are they fooling themselves? Mike, I thought I saw you raise your hand. So, no, so. I was just I was just going to say to to point out to kind of buttress on what John is saying. Um, you know, they they revamp the coaching staff, right? I mean, they bring in Rich Scandarella, they fire Grow, they fire Carson Walsh. You don't do those kind of things unless you think that you already have the talent on the roster and it's just not being unleashed and it's just not being used to its utmost capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this season goes to show that that's not the case. Um, I mean, their most talented offensive player, uh, I mean, it, 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 to a degree, it's true. Like I've, I've nailed Doug on, you know, give the ball to Miles Sanders more often. There are games, that, the, the Washington game to open the season. Like, that's a game to me that Doug has to – that's a game, game that a coach has to win for his quarterback. Yep. Once Wentz starts spraying the ball all over the place – He's got to settle you, you him down. Sorry, Kevin. He's got to settle him down at that point and run the football. Yeah, or just, just – you're going to beat Washington 23-14 to 14 instead of 35-7 to 7 because Carson Wentz is not having a great day. Um, and I think, to, to John's point – one of the underrated aspects of Lurie's tenure is how involved he really is. And I think because he doesn't speak all that often, um, because when he does speak, he generally says things with the exception of like, we're the gold standard, you know, 15 years ago, he's generally inoffensive in what he says. He, you don't come out of a press conference saying like, Oh, okay. Well, th- th- that was crazy. You know, John Middleton, Matt Clentak at the end, you know, at the, after the firing of Gabe Kapler, that kind of thing. Um, 
But I go back to this one anecdote that Jeff McLean, my colleague at the Inquirer, had in a, a preview story earlier this year. I mentioned this to Kevin last night. Yep. After the Eagles beat the Bears 16 to 15 in the wild card round, the year after they won the Super Bowl, Jeff reported that Jeffrey Lurie was not thrilled with that game because the Eagles didn't score as many points as he would have liked. Now, they went into a road game with their backup quarterback in the playoffs and won. And Jeffrey Lurie was not fully satisfied with that. And I think that's very telling about how, what he wants this team to look like and how much pressure is on a guy like Doug and his coaching staff to do things a certain way. Um, you know, and look, I'm the guy who called Doug a potted ficus before the Super Bowl season. I, and I, on the one hand, I own it because he made me look like an idiot, you know, less than a year later. But I also think that I stand by what I wrote because it's pretty true. He, the John's right. He doesn't have a lot of power within that organization. And I think we underestimate how much power Jeffrey Lurie has and wields. And this comes down to him. If he thinks that firing Doug Peterson is going to fix everything, it doesn't matter whether he's right or wrong. He's going to do it. Um, I just wonder if he's going to do it. Uh, I, I don't know about that. I can just back Mike up on one point there. Yeah, there was every indication that he that that Peterson had no weight in that organization prior to that Super Bowl. I remember the one year they had a draft. They barely let the guy talk. That, that was what led to that column, Jack. Yeah, he stood there yeah. like a like a potted plant. Like remember, I'm just here for decoration. Remember, I they remember that column, and I enjoyed that. And I thought the same thing. And 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 it wasn't. It was the second day they let him talk, right? Yeah, they didn't mm-hmm. let him talk on the first day. And I had this very similar thought. And that's a good point. Remember, they didn't let him talk after the season in his first year in 2016 for like three weeks. It was almost like they were trying to deprogram him a little bit from saying the wrong stuff. My, my, yeah. my, my argument on this is, and this is where I come down on the arrogance. Mike, you're right. The second round draft pick of a quarterback is arrogant. Okay. Just as much as drafting a tight end two years ago, when you already had a pro bowler there in, they drafted Goddard just to play, keep away from the Cowboys. Their draft priorities got skewed, and they they just, in addition to a lack of an eye for talent, and I think there's a legitimate case whether that's true or not, there's a belief of playing keep away. You can't play keep away in this sport. That's what's gotten Jerry Jones in trouble all these years with the Cowboys. Did the Cowboys really need CeeDee Lamb, or were they playing keep away from the Eagles at that point last year when they, when they made the pick of him? This is where bad teams become bad and this is why they I were th- trying to keep Rager away from the Vikings <laughs> well no that's just bad draft die at that point I mean the point is they are so this is where the arrogance I, I talk about comes in and they need a whether you bring Doug back or not it, it and obviously if you're getting rid of Howie you're going to get rid of Doug because you're going to bring a GM in who's going to want his own coach but if Doug goes and how he stays, the problem's still there. And especially if you don't have John Dorsey in the draft room making the draft picks. And that's where I think they're going to have to lean on. And I don't see how he giving that control up again. That's my that's my opinion. So I don't know if, if anybody believes how he will step aside for a personnel guy or not. I don't see that happening. No. No. Okay. Well, that's no. like asking that's like asking, will Doug 
bring in a guy and let an him offense call coordinator. Yeah. I mean, we already know the answer to that. Uh, that doesn't mean they might not tell Doug you have to do that to keep your job, and then Doug would have to make a decision. But Doug has said many times, I want to call the plays. Fine, call the plays. Yep. All you right. know, whatever. Let's let's transition. I want to ask you guys. This is a I hope you can hear this. Okay. What is the worst comment by a general manager in Philadelphia this year? And I'll play you two clips. Here's well, one. Well, it's got to be McPhail because that's why you're going to play it. Well, no, it's not McPhail, actually. But okay. Oh, I'm sorry. All right, here we go. Uh, here's number one. But uh, uh, for better or worse, we are quarterback developers. We want to be a oh, quarterback oh, factor. Oh, oh, oh. We have the right people in place to do that. Or Matt Klintak. Um, I am really proud of this team. There you go. Which one is the worst comment by a Philadelphia general manager? The quarterback factory or I'm so damn proud of this team? Uh, it's anything the Phillies did. Because as much as I just want to poo-poo anything that Howie Roseman did, right now he's he's going to pout his chest and say Jalen Hurts is going to be a good quarterback, you know, starting all of three games or not. It's anything the Phillies are doing. Eagles are at a crossroads, but the Phillies are just an absolute mess. Even now with Dombrowski? It's a starting point, right? But, I mean, it's a starting point of of how long before they get back to where they need to be. You know it's not happening in one or even two off-seasons. They don't have much of a farm system to speak of. I know you're going to get into it. But the Phillies are so in the in the back burner of the four major teams in terms of where they are at to, you know, compared to where they need to be. So I'll take it your vote on you know, which franchise is in worse shape is between the Phillies and the Eagles. Your take of the Phillies. Oh, yeah, I'm taking the Phillies. Mike? Selsky. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the Phillies are in worse shape. Um, you know, they had five years to uh, to try to replenish the farm system and weren't able to do it. And, you know, in, in a way, they're in a very similar situation to the one they were in right after they won that, you know, those 102 games in 2011 and got beaten the first round of the playoffs. It was almost like an empty eggshell, like the, you know, you decorate it for Easter and it's all got all these pretty colors on it, but it's empty inside. Um, now the eggshell is just plain white. I mean, they've been a vanilla team for the last three years and it's still empty. I mean, there's nothing, there's very, very little in there. Um, you know, I mean, they needed to do what they what they said they were going to try to do, which is to replenish their pharmacists and they haven't been able to do it. I mean, there's a reason that, I mean, and he had a terrific rookie season. There's a reason that you heard about Alec Bohm for a couple of years because who else, what are the prospect were they going to talk about? <laughs> I mean, right. it really weren't, and there wasn't anybody else. No, it was an echo chamber of Alec Bohm and Spencer Howard. Uh, Jack? Only that, that, that in Girardi and Dombrowski, they have the right people in place and in, in the places where they need to have them. Uh, if you're a Phillies fan, that would be encouraging. It was, a, it was, in, repeating ourselves a really weird year in baseball more than any of other sports seven inning games double headers uh you only played games against certain teams uh, i'm ready to say let me see what what joe girardi can do over 162 games and then get back to me as far as the phillies the eagles they they should improve next year they're going to have a fourth place schedule they have a pretty good draft pick so they'll they should improve too but i'll i'll take my chances with girardi and dombrowski and a full season if it's bad again next year then get back to me the clintac mcphail era or error depending on how you want to say it <laughs> um where did it go off the tracks or how much of this falls on the owner pressing the envelope maybe too quickly with the Arietta and Harper signings. 
Well, where did they go off the, tr- the tracks? Was 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 McPhail really didn't give it the old college try? He did not give it an honest effort at all. Turned it all over to Clentac, who was unable to do that job. He had no idea how to pick a player. None. He, he is no touch for being able to find a pitcher. And they went with him for what was it five years? And yeah. uh, that's where it went off. The, McPhail not taking command, not taking the reins, not taking the job seriously enough and trusting a guy that really had no eye for talent at all, yet carried himself as if he knew everything and you didn't. You talk about arrogance. There's your arrogant guy. Clentac. What's up? John? That's okay. Yeah, the one issue that I certainly had with Clentac, that, and it goes back to our conversation at the start about you know, not having access in 2020 or limited access Anytime you would have the opportunity, you know, Matt Klintek, he was available. I mean, even after he would have his media scrums, you could speak to him one-on-one for a minute or two. The thing that always drove me nuts um, is when you would ask a question about a given player or aspect of the game, and his answers were always numerically based, always. No matter what I would ask him, he would give me some type of numbered answer. And at first, I'm like, okay, well, this guy's just different. You know, I know how strong he is in analytics, more so than anybody that I've really met or interviewed in the past. So I'll, I'll see how this plays out. But when things started to go awry, when certain players didn't work out or um, you started seeing things that you just question him, you know, what is your eyes telling you? He would always answer something numerically. And when you combine that with, he certainly had an arrogance about him uh, all the way to the end. And I, I mean, he was brought here when this team had bottomed out. This is where you, you get your best draft picks where there so many of them are, I don't want to call him a guarantee, but you right. have a much higher percentage of, of hitting on someone. And in the end, he hit on next to no one. And here we are five years later, almost back where we started, slightly better than where we started. Yeah, the Mickey Moniak one is going to haunt him to his grave. I mean, but but I think Mike, you know, John Middleton's weird in this equation because he was the analytics pusher. He was the guy who pushed for analytics and for them to go kind of, you know, money ball, you know, even five years past money ball, whatever. And, and, but then he forces the envelope on the Harper signing and understand his understanding of the market that he needs somebody to help sell tickets, maybe put expectations at a point where this team wasn't ready for it either. Yeah. I, I, I take it slightly different, um, bigger picture kind of view of this. Um, not to say that Matt Clentac was the greatest general manager in the history of general managers. I don't think that. I do think, though, that Middleton fancies himself as kind of a junior George Steinbrenner to a degree. I think he likes being the center of attention when it comes to the ball club. Um, I think he was pushing probably a little too soon um, to to make a make splashes. Um, that the, 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 Even if Clentac had done everything right, in terms of evaluating players, and I'm not suggesting he did, it would have taken a long time because they had been barren in their farm system for a long time. And and to even pull the the um, the the prism or the telescope back further, you know, have they really built a decent farm system since Mike Arbuckle left? You know, go back to those teams that won those five straight division championships, that that won the World Series, that created the best five-year era, and even a little bit before that, um, with teams that were really competitive and probably should have been in the playoffs. Um, you know, those were all Mike Arbuckle guys. Um, it wasn't like that they were, it wasn't like they were supplementing Chase Utley and Ryan Howard and Jimmy Rollins and Cole Hamels and Ryan Madsen and Carlos Ruiz with additional prospects. They were supplementing them with Roy Halladay and Cliff Lee. 
I mean, that's, you, you know, I like Ruben Amaro a lot, but he didn't have a whole lot more success in terms of finding prospects uh, than Matt Klintak did. And that's been an organizational problem for a really, really long time for the vast majority of the franchise's history. And uh, I don't think, I think it's, it's facile to just say, well, Klintak had a job to do and didn't do it. It's correct as far as it goes, but the problem is bigger than that. And I think, you know, uh, John Middleton to a degree exacerbated it because he wanted to change. We're going to, all right, well, let's go sign Carlos Santana. And then, all right, well, we'll trade him. Cause you know, and, and Reese Hoskins gets blown up into something bigger than he might actually turn out to be. And, and as you said, Kevin, we're hearing, hearing so much about Spencer Howard and um, you oh, know, Alec Bohm and yeah. Alec Bohm and people like that, you know, it's been a long time since the Phillies really had a flourishing farm system and it hasn't flourished all that often in their history. So Mike Kern, are the Phillies, the, Last place projected team in the National League East in 2021. Eh, maybe. I mean, you know, you know, I'm assuming everybody's assuming Miami's going to keep ascending, and they might. Uh, you know, I'm not. The, the Nats have made a couple moves. Look, the Phillies should have been in the playoffs last year. I, I mean, you know, if they win one game in the last seven, so I mean, we consider all we want. They should have been in the playoffs. What that means, I don't know. But the bottom line in all this conversation, everybody says, if you don't draft well, you suffer. We're seeing it with the Eagles. We're seeing it with the Phillies. Even with the Sixers to a degree when they had all those top five picks and came away with two pieces and were maybe even not sure of the one piece. Who knows? I mean, I don't know going forward. But, um, you know, it's you have – that's where it all starts. But as far as, like, them signing – um, um, Harper, they didn't have a choice. This town would not have let them off the hook. It's like when the Phillies re-signed, gave Howard the big contract, and then two years later, it's like, oh, why'd we do that? You had to. There was no way they were letting Ryan Howard go mm-hmm. in this town to face that backlash. If they hadn't signed Harper or Machado, this town would have would have bailed on them. And who would have? Uh, they might have come back. But they would have bailed on him, and they would have caught a lot of flack for it. And who would have thought two years ago, Manny Machado is on the team that's buying everything at this point, and it's the San Diego Padres. Yeah, and then he finished like second or third in the MVP voting. No, nah, he, he actually he was third. Well, he he didn't have a great year. I mean, but he was one of the finalists, wasn't he? There was three finalists. Nah, I, I thought, thought Tat- he was one. I thought, well, they had Tatis too. So, oh, maybe was, okay, maybe I got that wrong. Um, but the, but the idea, I, I, and and I'll transition this point into the Sixers. Leadership matters, and, and when you when you have an absentee president like the Phillies had, it did matter, and, and the GM was over his head. The Sixers, I think, leadership matters in that they got a guy right now in 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 Daryl Morey who who has a game plan and he sticks to the game plan, and he makes it attractive for them to be there, you know, for somebody to want to play for him, and if he does make a trade. In for Ben with Ben Simmons, you have confidence he's going to make the right trade. I'll let Jack or John take the first crack at this. Where do you see the Sixers now as we start the new year? Right, Jack. Um, I see them. I will obviously with Doc Rivers. It, it's you know certainly you're you're getting that resume that goes with it, and someone who the players are most certainly going to listen to. Today's NBA game has certainly changed a lot to where it's so heavily. Um, the players dictate so much, but with Doc Rivers, it, it, the hope is that it'll kind of le- level the playing field to an extent. 
I mean, they're a better roster than they were last year with better coaching and a better front office structure with the, the Daryl Morey being the president slash general manager. Um, but they're not there yet. They're still, I mean, I would say they're maybe a top four team in the Eastern Conference and still, I wouldn't put them as a true contender right now. And I don't base that just on the three games I've seen, but I don't think they're they're talented enough. Um, and I think Daryl Morey knows that. I mean, you can't fix everything in a single offseason or several months after being hired. The arrow is certainly pointing up, which is a great thing, because uh, where they were when they left the bubble in Orlando was purgatory. I mean, they were headed for straight purgatory, and things have certainly turned uh, very quickly. Um, what's going to be interesting to see is Daryl Moore has always been aggressive. And when he makes his mind up on something, nobody can change it. And it has worked out for him sometimes, and it's also backfired at times. I mean, when he acquired, when he brought in James Harden, it cost him a lot. And if he still has that in mind, uh, potentially bringing him to Philadelphia, I mean, you're, you know, it's going to be a split decision in the fan base and probably the media too. I would be in favor of it, but you're, sacrificing what might be with Ben Simmons down the road for the here and the now. And if the here and the now doesn't work, then you're, you're going to be left with a team that's potentially in purgatory again, and you're going to have to slowly build it again. Jack. Uh, well, I'll go, uh, I'll, I'll say this similar things to what John said is in that they've got the right coach in place. He's really good. He's got the reputation in the industry of being really among the best Maury's in good shape too, and you're you're not going to tell me that those two guys are buying into fully the Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons myth of two superstars. They've used the word superstars. I'll give you I'll give you Embiid. Embiid is is that level. Simmons is not at that level. They know he's not at that level. I'd be I would be really disappointed in the both of them if they think that he's at that level. You're talking about something that they've they've been delusional about for a number of years now. The results never change. And I'd be stunned if at some point in this calendar year coming up that Ben Simmons is still with the Sixers. They'll move him along. Doc Rivers isn't putting up with this for long. They've got the right people in place. A couple of changes here or there, and they could be contenders because they really did put some nice players around them this year. Selsky. Yeah, you know, um, the Simmons thing is interesting to me. I remember talking to his um, – his dad, Dave, before game six of the Raptors series, which they needed to win uh, to stay alive in that series. And they did force the game seven, obviously, which led to the Kawhi shot. And, uh, and Ben Simmons had a really good game that night. And his father told me before the game, like, he's only 22. He's got a long way to go. I asked the father about learning, you know, when is Ben going to shoot the ball more? He's got a long way to go, a long way to go. Well, that was two years ago, um, coming up on two years ago. And we don't see anything different. And one of the things I think that's interesting is this theme that's coming around and, and everything we're saying in this entire discussion is that there's sports and then there's sports in Philadelphia. And I think that we every team has to take that into consideration one way or another, no matter what they do, no matter what route they take, they have to take that into consideration. And it's one thing if Ben Simmons doesn't shoot the ball for the Charlotte Hornets or the Utah Jazz. It's another thing if he if Philadelphia sees that he could be a great player if he would only add this aspect to his game and make a good faith effort to work on it, and he doesn't do it. And that's, that is something that I think is going to, as Jack said, is going to chart the course of this team's future. What is their decision about Simmons? It's not Embiid. Embiid is not the issue. 
Embiid is the kind of player, even in a three-point oriented sport now, you you get Joel Embiid and you say thank you and you and you take him. But Simmons is the poster child to kind of bring this back to the Clentac discussion. He's the poster child for, yeah, it looks great on paper and it looks great statistically. And it is great statistically and it is great on paper and it is great in actuality at times. But there's a level deeper that you've got to go. And somebody, and I think the Sixers are probably figuring out, like, he's never going to shoot the ball. He just isn't going to do it. And, you know, there had to have been something in their thinking or their scouting to, to show them that, to let them know that. Um, same kind of thing with Markel Fultz, you know, that, that you can get too technical, you can get too numbers-oriented, and that, that human side of things gets, uh, gets missed. Mike Kern? It is amazing to me. I'm trying to be a Ben Simmons guy. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give him all the benefit of the doubt because I see the things he can do defensively and, and otherwise. It amazes me that Mike just said that, you know, a year and a half ago he was talking to his father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How can a guy with as much talent as Ben Simmons, who's been hearing for two years how you can be an even better talent if you just do this, doesn't do it? That at some point would bother me, and I agree with like what Mike's saying is. I said this two years ago, Kevin. I told you he's never going to shoot the ball. No, I was hoping he might, but I. But at some point, you either have to want to deal with that and say, "Okay, this is it. He's not," or you have to then make a move. And knowing what I've heard from John Johnson and Jack and people who are there a lot, Maury's not going to Maury and 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 even the coach. As much as I think the coach wants to make this try to work and see what could be. I, I just think at some point, and the problem is if it is going to be a Harden move, if that, and I'm not sure that's the right move, but if you are going to get James Harden, you got to do it soon. I, I mean, you can't wait till like next off season no. to do it. Cause then you've wasted a year of James Harden, but this is just so far. I mean, that game with Cleveland, I don't want to one game. It's one game. And, and Ben did have good games when Embiid was out last year. Doesn't he have to score 30 against the Cavs? Doesn't he have to just say I'm one of the I'm I might be the best player on this court. No matter who I'm else is on thirty tonight, and he scored. You know he does what he does, and they lose by thirty to a Cavs team that had like five guys out. It, and just, it, no, Mike, to to your point, this is you know regardless of who else is on the roster, you know Joel and Ben are the one and the one a very two cornerstones. Yep. And when one's not playing, the other has to pick up the slack, and he didn't. But it was, when it comes to Ben and his future, I always in my head I go back to one specific practice where um, uh, it was another game where Ben had a couple, the defender was sagging off eight, nine feet from him and he refused to shoot. And it was a game that they lost. Mm -hmm. And the very next morning um, we were at Sixers practice. This was last season before the pandemic. And John Jack McCaffrey, who I think had the, I don't know if he had the first or second question in, in, in the media scrum to Ben. And he, I mean, Jack wasn't rude about it. He said, "Yeah, I mean, he's like, yeah, I'm trying. I can't. I'm paraphrasing, but he said, you know, you haven't added that that you know perimeter, that three point shot to your game, and you had the opportunity last night. What happened?" And Ben turned to him, looked at him, and said, "And I'm an all star, aren't I? And I'm an all star." And like Jack wow. tried to respond, and Ben would just cut him off and say, "But I'm an all star, aren't I?" And he just and he got Ben out of shape. Did he really? Did that really happen? That that's amazing. That's the first you, you, time I've you ever missed heard. it, Mike. And then Jack Karate kicked him right in the face <laughs> and just roundhouse him. That's the first time I've ever heard that story. So I'm, I'm it's sorry. It's an accurate that, story that, that he believes he's an all star, and that is enough. That and you're not going to change. You're not going to take that away from him in his mind. It was interesting after the. 
Sixers <laughs> opener. They that uh, he barely he took one shot. He took one long shot. Then after the game, came out into an empty arena and started shooting with nobody on him. He's got this thing about. I mean, he wants to shoot with nobody defending him. And uh, it, but nobody it, is defending him half the time, right, Jack? I mean, he's, he's in games that, like like John said, they're sagging five, six. Oh, uh, especially like in the playoffs. Good. The playoffs, they stag off from 100 miles. Yeah. Just to, to, to kind of tie a bow on this, what's going to be interesting to me, assume for the sake of argument that they make the, a Harden deal, okay, that they get James Harden. They better win a lot, and yeah. James Harden better yeah. be the top scorer in the NBA by a lot because getting back to what we were talking about, about how there's sports in Philadelphia and there's sports everywhere else, how long do you think it's going to take for James Harden to hear he doesn't pass the ball enough? He doesn't play hard enough defense. Um, you know, look at all the turnovers. He's hanging at the um, strip club. Oh, you look fat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's. What's he doing after games? Why wasn't he at practice? Um, you know, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong to point out those things. I'm saying that they will get pointed out in Philadelphia, yeah. probably to a degree that they they weren't in Houston or Oklahoma City, and uh, and then we'll see. You know. What really happens then? So as we tie a bow kind of on the four teams, let's get to the one team that actually won a playoff round this year, won a playoff game this year. It's the Flyers, who will start in January, but in a different landscape. I, I, I and, and I'll take this to you, Mike. Boy, you know, they've made a lot of strides, and they have the goaltender, and, you know, some of the young players are coming up. But now you throw them in this new Eastern division, uh, this Eastern division with Boston and Buffalo and, you know, all the other teams. Getting to the playoffs is going to be tough for them this year. And I don't think people have kind of wrapped their hands around this in an abbreviated schedule. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. It's going to be a it's going to be a challenge. Um, The good part is the good thing for them is a they have a terrific coach. Mm -hmm. B, they have a bona fide Number one defenseman in Ivan Provorov, who is excellent and I, I think has a chance to win an Norris Trophy at some point in his career. And I think we would all agree they have a bona fide, you know, number one guy who can win you the Stanley Cup and goal in Carter Hart, who was the only reason that that series against the Islanders went seven games um, in the second round. I think the thing that they're missing, um, and as much as I liked and, and have been pleasantly surprised to a degree by how uh, good Kevin Hayes has been both on the ice and off the ice. I was very skeptical of that seven-year, $50 million contract when they signed him to it, um, but so far, so good. Now we'll see how the next six years go. The thing that they are still missing is a star offensive player, a forward. They don't have one, and don't give me Claude Giroux and Jake Voracek. Those guys are not those players anymore and certainly are not those players in the playoffs. I'm sorry, but they're not, and – you know, it looked like maybe Travis Konechny was going to be that guy, and he didn't do a whole lot in these playoffs either. And that's the thing that I'm really keeping an eye on with respect to Chuck Fletcher. Um, and maybe Nolan Patrick coming back from these concussions or these migraines or whatever it is can eventually be that guy. I think we all reserve the right to be skeptical on that one. Um, but that's what they're missing, is they're, they are missing a guy who just, when the puck is on his stick, it ends up in the other team's net, and that's all there is to it. Yeah, and and I think that's that's something that Chuck Fletcher. Look, Chuck Fletcher's made a lot of good moves since he's come here, uh, but this is the one that's the the get over the hump move is finding that type of scorer. And I don't know if necessarily that that's going to be in place this year. Jack or John, either one of you. 
Oh, you agree. Uh, really, Mike hit every right note there. That's exactly the situation that they're in. You mentioned it's going to be difficult to make the playoffs. It's supposed to be difficult to make the playoffs. Maybe they make the playoffs. They're hardened by that that road that they take to get there. And they have the right coach and uh, they have the right GM that maybe can find another scorer. But you're, you're 100% right. You're not winning the Stanley Cup without a big-time scorer, and they don't have one. John. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, Claude Giroux, whatever you thought he, he was at one point, and he puts up great stats. He's not that guy anymore. Um, and, and when it comes to playoffs, sadly, I mean, his reputation is, is very accurate. He, you know, he can, he's a great regular season player. When it gets to the playoffs and things get a little more physical, a little faster, you know, it, it's difficult for him to keep up. I, I will say this. I mean, I mean it's, it was wild watching in the bubble. When you saw the Flyers, they eventually get eliminated. They struggled, you know, even in the series they won. But you're like, all right, I, I, I see promise here. Maybe in another year they could be one of those top-tier teams. And then you watch the Tampa Bay Lightning, and holy cow, they are just eons better than the Flyers are at this at this point in time. Blue the Islanders out. And really the Islanders dominated that whole series against the Flyers. Right. And, and so right. the gap was pretty wide. Right. I mean, the one great thing that I know Flyers fans can cling to right now is they have Elaine Vigneault who has the track record and it's, you know, for years and years, for three decades, the Flyers were trying to find a goaltender, one they believed would be the one that could be their goaltender for the next 10 years. And to this point, there's been no indication that would say Carter Hart isn't that guy. So, I mean, that's a, a huge piece of the puzzle that you can, you know, uh, completely, hopefully just completely put to the side, not have to worry about and focus purely on finding more goal scorers. Before we go, uh, I want you all to look at one other thing. Go ahead. This year, it is going to be different because there's going to be expectations on the Flyers. You know, nobody had any expectations last year, really. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they got real good. They went to the bubble and, and won those three games to start. And we got all excited. And yeah, and they won. But I'm telling you, this year, people want to see the next step, which in this case would mean winning two playoff series. And that is not an easy thing to do. And like you said, especially coming out of the division that they're going to be playing in. I don't think any of us at this point last year could have seen what happened as far as, you know, obviously uh, the tragic death of Kobe Bryant, uh, COVID, any of this. Okay. But we all do every year make predictions of the year ahead. Some light, some serious, some groundbreaking. So I kind of want to give each of you a shot to make take one stab at a, a big event that we're going to be talking about in 2021 that would impact the landscape of sports as we know it. You mean other than the release of The Rise, Kobe that, Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality coming to a bookstore near you in the fall of 2021? Mine. Well, that was going to be that was going to be Kearns, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know if he was named after the state. That's what I want to know, Mike. He was here's what I'm supposed to say. I actually, I spent a good bit of time tracking down and confirming that story. Um, And here's where I'm supposed to say that, uh, you know, you need to buy the book to, uh, to find that out. Yeah. Um, So buy the book. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Buy the book. book. (laughs) Um, All right. One prediction. Uh, Let's start with Jack McCaffrey, who made the great prediction in August on on the Eagles. The prediction I've already made, I'll, I'll stick with it. And that is that, Ben Simmons won't be a sixer much too deep into the Doc Rivers organization. That's I'll make that prediction right now. So by the, by this time next year, 
Ben Simmons will be playing for somebody else. John Johnson. Boy, I think because of where three of these four teams are, it's kind of – I'll go I'll go bolder. I'll go Sixers. I'll go a little bolder. This time next year, the Sixers roster will look even more different. Ben Simmons will not be there, and the Sixers will be considered a true contender in the Eastern Conference, a top two in the Eastern Conference, uh, with expectations to be in the NBA Finals. Mike Silski. I'm going to go a little more micro. Does that mean, does that mean Harden, John? Do you think hey, Harden's the guy that's going to come here for that? I think all the rumors that you've heard and that Adrian Wojnarowski and Ramona Shelbourne even went into that where the Sixers tried to deny it to you know save the optics of having to deal with Ben. They want Daryl Morey wants James Harden. And I okay. think after a couple more games, they're going to say, this is ridiculous. He's not willing to shoot. You know, If we think we can win now, let's do it. And they're going to pull the trigger. Wow. Okay. Mike Silski. I'm going to go a little more micro than Jack and Joe, or John, excuse me. I'm going to go with the Phillies. And I'm going to say that um, in the 2021 season, their best starting pitcher will be neither Aaron Nola nor Zach Wheeler. It will be Zach Eflin. Wow. I, I, I have liked Eflin for a long time. I thought that um, the, uh, the Chris Young, Gabe Kapler approach to him uh, was wrong from the start. Um, I think the kid has a lot of ability, and I think if they let him pitch the way he wants to pitch and they tap into a couple other things, that he can be a legit one or two starter in this league. And uh, I think this is a year that he shows that. Mike Kern. Wow. Boy, I, he caught me a little bit off guard. You shouldn't have, Kevin, but I, because I, I, I just want to get – I just want to be in a better place six months from now. That's all I want. Uh, but I will say this. I think next year when the Eagles – Go to training camp, start their season, whatever. They're going to have quarterback issue. I don't know what that issue is going to be. I don't know if it's going to be because both of those guys are going to be here or because one of them is going to be gone. But they are they are not going to be good. I'm not saying they're going to be as bad as they were this year because that's almost impossible to top. But they're not going to have a good quarterback situation next year, which is why I, I think they're probably going to struggle again next year. I'm going to go on a business type of prediction, okay? And my business prediction is that this time next year, the Sixers will be beginning to lay the groundwork. Actually, the Sixers will have a deal in place to have a brand new arena at 30th Street Station. I think they will stay in Philadelphia. I think they will look at developing that Carter in West Philly that Josh Harris knows because of what happened. You know, obviously, he's a pen guy and all that. I think they realized that the 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 benefits they had over in Camden for years are not going to be there, but I think they know that they have to get the groundwork going if they want to have something built in Philadelphia and get out of Wells Fargo Center, which we saw obviously earlier this year with the Penn's Landing thing. I think that's going to be the major business story on the Sixers business end at this time next year. So I don't know if any of you did. You talk to Mayor Kenny about that. Uh, he's not taking my phone calls at the present time. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, he 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 detweeted you, right? Or he didn't. He's not following. No, no, me. no. That's I, only that's only Franklin. I, I, I feel so inadequate with my prediction. You guys all swung for the fences, and I like tried to drag no, bunt. You know, I, just, I actually like yours <laughs> more because yours could. I, I look. I I agree with both Jack and John. And Simmons might probably won't be here, but if Zach Eflin does become their best pitcher. That, that's a bold prediction. I mean, and it's not, that's not impossible. You know, 
I, I can definitely see it. I, it durability is going to matter. He hasn't been durable, but yeah. boy, I agree with you, Mike. What a what a talent. And uh, he very well could be their best pitcher. Uh, I, I, I predict that this time next year also we'll be cursing Vince Velasquez's existence because he will still be <laughs> on this franchise somehow. Can we trade him with next Vince year after that, and that, that, that? Yeah, that's throw, a package deal. Throw him in the Harden deal. Yes, at some point. <laughs> Gentlemen, I appreciate you joining us uh, this afternoon. Happy New Year to all of you. Stay safe and uh, can't wait till we can actually get back and see each other in person. Have a Agreed. great New Year's, everybody. Yep. Have a great um, New Year's. Best as you can. Happy New Year, guys. Hey, guys. Right. Thanks, John Johnson. Thanks for having me. Jack McCaffrey, John Johnson, Mike Silski, and of course, the Colonel Mike Kern. And so that will do it for us. Uh, Again, our thanks to John Johnson, the 94 WIP, Mike Silski of the Inquirer, and Jack McCaffrey for joining us on our annual year in review look back at 2020. I'm Kevin Cooney for Mike Kern. Thanks for joining us all year long here on Working the Beat. We will see you in the new year. Happy New Year to everybody. Stay safe. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>